my own children would say, Dad, what, what do you do? My friends ask all the time, and I, I never know what to tell them. What, what do you do? And so I, I decided to just do a quick overview here because the questions I've been asked since I've been here have me living in so far 11 states and three countries. So let's, I just want to give a summary of uh, the bigger picture. Um, I've been a, I'm starting my 25th year as a seminary professor. I know I look much too young to have done it that long, but that's okay. Um, I run an organization called Global Leadership as well, out of New York. Global Leadership is designed exclusively to do mentoring networks and leadership development for emerging young leaders, typically ages 25 to 40, uh, around the world. So uh, we work in primarily under-resourced parts of the world, both spiritually under-resourced and financially under-resourced parts of the world. So let me give you a brief overview of what uh, we're doing this year and planning to do next year, just to give you a picture of what this looks like. And uh, so far this year, we've taken a group of uh, 50 Russian and Ukrainian leaders to Israel to look at leadership development at various locations around Israel. We've invested heavily in Russia and will continue to do that. This has been a great thing that God has done. Also have uh, invested in the United Kingdom. One of the young chaps who's a part of our global associates got a, a two million pound grant to start this unique leadership program for business leaders to do one year of intensive part of university study do one year of leadership and evangelism as a part of a university project. And it's just going gangbusters. It's incredible partnering with them on that one. We've just returned. I took a dozen uh, grad students from New York with me to Ireland. We've uh, partnered with Arrow Leadership there to work at developing the 25 best young leaders we can find in the Christian world, both in Northern Ireland and in the Republic. It's just something that God is using there in a dramatic way, and it's fun to partner with them. We continue to do things across Western Canada. Um, some of you know that the evangelical population, uh, particularly in spots in Canada, is at an all-time low, and they're beginning to rally again to bring the gospel in some of the unique places like Vancouver. One of the unique things that's happening for us this year is my book on the power of mentoring is having a unique release in both Russia and in France. And that will partner next year in a big way in what we do there. We do a few things in the U.S., but not very many, which is why I wanted to take time to do this, because most of the time people know you by what they see you do. This is the only place in a three-year period I'm doing this. I don't do this. For some reason, God has said, go hang out in Detroit. That's the fun people on the planet, so go there. Which is why I keep coming back. It, it, those other places are dreadful. And, and, and apparently from God's perspective and, and mine, you're more amazing than some other places. So we keep, we keep doing this. As we look at 2012, we've got some other unique projects coming up that we're very excited about. Um, continue to work in the UK. We're uh, partnering with um, Holy Trinity Brompton, which is where Alpha has come from. Uh, Nikki Gumbel, interestingly enough, who's the head of Alpha, was in the first mentoring group we set up in the UK back in 96. Alpha had just started. He was a young lad then. And it's been fun to see uh, those mentoring networks we create, how much it launches these leaders to the next levels of effectiveness. 
We're also doing a thing again, another round. I think this is round five or six in Western Australia. Not only is it a fun place to go, but in Western Australia, it's a great place to invest in. Less than 1% of men in Western Australia go to church of any sort. So because I seem to be particularly good with that clientele, I've got a whole group of young leaders and young ministers that we are mentoring on how to reach men, particularly the sort of rugged Western Australian bloke. And that seems to work quite well for us. So we keep going back. The network is growing and the effectiveness of reaching those men is continuing to do well there. Next year, one of our primary uh, emphases will be in France. I mentioned the power of mentoring will be released there. It's actually not just a translation. We've uh, created this thing um, where we've partnered there to have somebody help rewrite it. I had to submit 23 uniquely French or European illustrations so that the book wasn't just an American book translated. It's a uniquely European book now. And we have created two separate places with young men we've invested in. We're creating what we're calling a gospel ecosystem in the middle of Paris. We've got somebody to spearhead it. We're taking young business leaders in to create businesses around the heart of Paris to help transform the heart of Paris. All focused towards bringing people to Christ there in the center of the city. There's also a young man. uh, He was the only, 10 years ago, the only known evangelist in all of France. And so we've invested in him heavily, worked with him over the years. I'm actually on his dissertation committee and other things. His plan was in 10 years to reproduce himself a hundredfold. So his ministry was to create a hundred young evangelists in France where he was the only known one. He's now up to 54. He's ahead of schedule. The other countries of Europe are coming to him saying, will you help us do this? Because we don't know of any young evangelists in our countries. So we've actually written a curriculum to help develop these next generation of young evangelists in the 39 countries of Europe. So it's a fun gig. And uh, we thank God regularly that we get to do these fun things all the way from uh, Paris to Detroit. And uh, God seems to be doing some unique things around this planet with some young leaders that just need a little bit of extra personal investment and whatever other resources they need. So whatever they need, we go after it for them, unapologetically. So we're asking you to just say, this is what we do. As you pray, we're not just here in Detroit. We take what we have here and take it around the world. So when my kids say, Dad, what is it you do? It's a little hard to explain to them. I've loved some of their attempts. I'm glad I don't do some of the things they mention I do. But uh, that's part of the network. I'm here today to wrap up the Secrets series. Normally when I speak at a place like this, I feel like I sort of understand people's secrets as I pray and listen. But you actually let us in on some of your secrets. You filled out cards. Some of you are both courageous, and there's another word I can't quite come up with. Um, But we've looked at secrets typically from one side. This wrap-up to the series is the things that I'm planning to do. Now, for some of you, that's actually a bit of a dark side issue. Because of some unhappiness or some lack of fulfillment, the things you're planning to do are out there to make a big adjustment to your life. I'm not going to talk about those today. 
I also want to look at the other side of the secrets. The things you hoped for that haven't happened yet. That God may just want to partner with you on those. Because He knows the secret dreams. He knows the secrets. So we want to hit this from a positive side. I'm going to ask you to actually rekindle some of your youthful idealism. Some of you are going, wait, that was a long, long time ago. Yeah, but I'm looking at you. There's not that many of you seemingly close to death. It's always a surprise. But I'm willing to bet that most of you have a pretty good shot at one more great event in your life. So don't settle. Don't settle. Let's fan into flames again what might be possible under the anointing power of God. What might be possible? And as we close out this secret series, to say to God, can we partner together? He wants to. You know that. He wants to partner with your secrets, with your dreams to make them happen. The focus for most of the series has been some of the darker side, as we've mentioned. And there's plenty of material there. The human experience often has disappointments. And we don't quite know what to do with those. Some of us are really, really gifted at making bad choices. I mean, for some of us, it's like our single greatest gifting in life. I had a brother like that. But there's another whole side. If you're young and in your psychology at all, and some of you are and just don't know it yet, Carl Jung talked about the shadow side. The shadow side was all the way from the unexplored side to the actual dark side. Sometimes even quite dark. Sometimes we're afraid to go there because what's there could be intimidating, could disrupt life as we know it and hurt us or other people. But sometimes it's just a, a shadow side in that it's dormant. That's why I'm asking you to sort of go back to some of that youthful idealism that you once had. Say, I don't think I'm ready to give up on all of that yet. Because there are some secrets in the souls of some of us who sit here that it's time to reawaken. You've settled into a life that isn't exactly what either you or God dreamed Decades ago, and because I'm at the age I am, I can honestly tell you, it's not too late. I can tell you that. It's not too late. Don't believe that one. So the positive side we're going to look at this morning of your secrets and dreams, to rekindle that idealized side. And let's begin to partner with God. Now there's this big principle of the kingdom. We've got to get it. Because it's usually used negatively. It comes to us from Hebrews chapter 4. It simply says this. It's the overriding principle of faith, if you can. That God knows the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. I mean, he already knows. You don't have to be a great theologian to know that. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Now, if that is all true, and it is, why would you try to hide anything? Now, this has often been used in not such a great way. Now, forgive me if these next, this next slide is minorly offensive. I, I can take it. I leave town soon. <laughs> but if God knows and sees, I mean, how many times, it, mothers always get blamed, forgive me, we'll talk about fathers in just a minute, but how many mothers have said, even when I'm not there to see, 
God sees. Now that's never a positive statement to a kid. It's never a positive statement. Fathers on the other side go, don't, don't let me see you doing that. But they never seem to throw in, God's going to find you and hunt you down. For some reason, that's not a, a dad statement most of the time. I'll find you, I'll hunt you down. But not, it's, a, it's not a God statement. Comedians, both Catholic and Jewish, historically, have had these great things about what uh, you get in, the, in school. That it's typically a nun, that's how the comedians tell it, who talk in terms of they always put this fear of God, guilt sort of thing on you. Going, I don't think they're the only ones who do that, though. But if God knows and sees, is it possible that he wants to put a positive spin on that? This morning, I'm going to spend some time in Matthew chapter 6 right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, because in Matthew chapter 6, there's this refrain that's repeated three separate times. It's a very simple refrain. It says, Your Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. Some of you are going, time out. I, I've apparently missed that passage my whole life. You're saying, like, what God sees, my secret longings, the things I hope for, the things that no one else knows. Like, it's amazing to me how many potentially amazing people are sitting here this morning. We just don't know it about each other. But God does. And it's as if he's our best cheerleader on the side going, come on, you can do this one. Why, why have you stopped? Why have you sold yourself short? I see what you want. I see the longings. I see the dreams. I see the secrets. Let's deliver on some of these instead of just keeping them secret. Let's deliver on these. It's a completely different tone than what we saw in the last slide. So in the first part of Matthew chapter 6, there's these first few verses. He sees what we do in secret when it comes to our giving. The kind of giving person we are. He starts with a bit of a warning. Again, this is in the middle of a longer sermon that he does called the Sermon on the Mount. He's finished the Beatitudes. And now he starts to talk about what really goes on inside of you. He said, be careful about how you do your acts of righteousness so that people will see you. Don't, don't do that. But when it comes to giving, particularly alms, particularly giving to the needy, he says, just do it. Don't make a big deal of it. He says, when you give to the needy, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But do your giving in secret. And when your father who sees what you do in secret, he'll reward you. He'll reward you. For some reason that I have enjoyed greatly, God has given me favor speaking to men, especially men who don't like church and God. They seem to be my best audience. More than 25 years ago, I started asking men, Women, you'll get included in just a moment, because this is not a uniquely male thing. It's a human thing. But my first group of uh, interviewees were men. And I would say to just some average guy that I would meet and talk to, I'd say, mate, let me ask you one question. If I could guarantee you success, and money wasn't an issue, what would you do with the rest of your life? And guys always clarified, 
They started with money. Money wasn't an issue. Money, not an issue. You got enough money for the rest of your life. And I could guarantee you success. Don't, let's take failure off the table. What would you do? You've got some sort of secret dream in there, don't you? Every single man, everyone, after quite a pause, would get a little bit of a grin on his face. And he'd tell a story. I'd say, what? Come on, you, you seem like this is the most energy I've seen in you since I've met you. Like, come on, what is this? And it was always, I, I got responsibilities financially, I can't do that. Or quite often, it was that fear of failure. It's not just a guy thing, women. A lot of us have dreams, and we settle in. And very often, it's about money at its core. We, but we can't afford to do that. Whenever we have conversations like this, someone always says, yeah, but we can't do that because... Okay, we know that. Let's, let's pause there. But you could do it if we framed it this way. But we always place that limitation there because of money. So Jesus just simply says, I know your secrets, even when it comes to the finances. I, I know that. So when it comes to the giving, to the money, there you go. Knowing I was going to do this sermon two weeks ago, I was at a gathering of people in Manhattan. Uh, remember, New York's where I'm from, not those 11 other states or three countries, you assumed. It's a New York thing. And I was telling them about this. And so I just thought, a little bit of a dinner party there. I said, tell me about when you were in college and what your dreams of your life were going to be. There was one couple I was fascinated. They spoke last. And I said, come on, I, I want to hear your story. And they said, we, we knew we were going to make money. We, we knew that. And we said to ourselves, we're going to give away 50% of everything we make. So that's great. I said, how's that working for you? And then the face changed dramatically. And I said, yeah, we, we, we kind of haven't done that. I said, that was just a dream. Did you also tell that one to God? They went, yeah. And I said, you know he took that one seriously. He, he did. Like, you were fully adult. He took that one seriously. I asked him what their address was. They told me. I know the address. It's two doors down from Seinfeld. I've been on that street. And I said, that apartment's probably worth, what, market right now? Still good in Manhattan. It's probably worth $20 million. Is it time to downsize? And at your age, see, well, we want to be those kind of giving people we dreamed of being. Your, your kids don't need another $20 million. They don't. They're going to be fine with what they have. They're going to be more than fine, I promise. Because if you'll do this, your next 25 years will be completely different in your souls. It'll be completely different. In your eternities, don't even get me started. It's going to be completely different. So I want to hear from you in two weeks. I get an email Thursday. They said, we're having interesting conversations at our house these days. I'm going to keep asking it's about the soul. And it's not just what you give away, it's what you keep for yourself.
And this whole thing is about the secret dreams of how you hoped to be useful here and help here and give here and become this kind of person. And your Father in Heaven saying, I'm still rooting for you for that one. Come on. Don't get caught up in just what's day-to-day. Don't just look at the bills. I know this is not the best economic climate to have this conversation. You think God doesn't know that one? He's going, this goes so much further than that. I don't want your money. I want your dreams. I want the dreams of the kind of person you can be. That's what I want. Come on. But he doesn't let up. He's got two more. The next one comes in verses 5 to 15. He sees what you do in the secrets of your prayer. This is sandwiched in the middle of this bigger teaching is what we often call the Lord's Prayer. He said, when it comes to your prayer life, don't just pray prayers that sound good. This one's about your soul too. And he says right in the middle of this, in verse 6, Your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will simply reward you. So with prayer, it's about the relationship with Him. It's not about the amazing words. It's not about your phrases. It's not really about how long you do this. It's not. It's about the connection with God. Does it feel like you're listening as well as talking? That's why we set up things here, like the listening room. It's about aligning your will with His, not just asking for what you're hoping for. It's part of that relationship thing. Sometimes it's simply about offloading your stuff. It's about repentance, confession, for some of us even whining. He's willing to listen to that. Eventually he says, okay, it's kind of enough. Let's move on. We've sort of gotten stuck here. But he's, he's willing to listen. The Bible lets us know that. But don't ever forget, it's about the kingdom. So note what you ask for and how you're asking. One of the things we're going to do while I'm here is do a fair amount of prayer training on how to ask what faith looks like, how to understand what the Spirit of God is saying to people so that we can partner with the Spirit of God to fulfill the things He's dreaming in someone else's life. But He even sees what we do in prayer and wants to reward us even for that. So for most of us, there's a phrase that either runs through our head or we articulate. The phrase is, you know this one? I should pray more. You know this one? I'm assuming some of you have said this one. Because on the other side, I've never met anyone who has ever said to me, Martin, you know what I think my problem is? I think my problem is I pray too much. I've never met one of those people. If you're one, I'd love to meet you. Because in all of my travels, I've never met one. So if you're one of those, I'd love to see the face of someone who thinks their biggest issue on the planet is they pray too much. It's usually, notice the terminology, I should pray more. You're defeated right there. It is not about quantity, folks. It's about taking this human heart and soul you have 
and connecting it deeply with that of the heart of God so that there's pretty much a straight pathway. And the things He dreams for you, He can actually get access to. And the dreams you have, He can help you deliver on those. I am asked regularly, it happened this last week, I'm asked by younger leaders, sometimes not so younger leaders. It's two different questions, same tone. Um, the first one is, how can I do what you do? Well, I, I think that's an odd question. You don't look at somebody else and say, I kind of want your life or I want whatever. How do, you, how do I do what you do? But the question is about how God uses people. But the second one that you always follows up and usually follows up quickly is how did you know when you started out that this stuff would work? Now say things like, I, I, I watch you pray, I listen to you pray, I watch how you do some of this stuff. Even at end of services, I've watched you do some of these things. And I, people said, I've said to myself, that's not going to work. And it works. Like, how do you know that? I said, come here, i got to tell you the secret. That's why it's called faith. That's why it's called faith. See, we, we throw the word around while we stay bounded in our comfortable set. This one is about stepping out. This one is trusting God for what you can't see yet. This is about the secrets that you hope for so that they don't just stay fantasies. Because part of this comes for you to take that risk, to step out and take that risk. How do you know it's going to happen? Now the secret is, you don't. A reminder, it is why it's called faith. The third one of these that comes to us is in verses 16 to 18. 16 to 18. He sees what you do in secret. This is a unique one that talks about even in fasting. One that many of us don't give much thought to on any given week. But when it comes to fasting, he simply says, when you fast, don't like let people know this. Don't like make a show of how like really spiritual you are and I'm taking this seriously. He says, when you do fast, he's assuming you will. So when you do fast, Make sure you look presentable. Put on a little lipstick. That's for the women. <laughs> Men, br brush your teeth, please. Women, I knew you wanted me to say that, so I, I said it for you. Like, like, look presentable. Act like you're focused on God, but not so anyone sees it. And then he says it again, almost like an amazing refrain to a song. For when you're fasting, only your Father in heaven, who is unseen, will see. And your Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. Notice the guarantee, promise. He will reward you. You're not doing this for Him. Get over that. It's a partnership. He's on your team. He's on your side. He's like the amazing coach who wants you to win. 
and not have you put limitations on what you can do. Where the last one talked about stepping out and risking, this one's often going inside. The emphasis here on fasting, because I've been professor of preaching now for a quarter of a century, it sounds really dreadful. I've studied these kinds of passages and how they've been preached over the centuries even. And because fasting is not something that's usually talked about in preached, this is often crossed over in sermons to how we serve. I guess it's a clear application, but it's how we serve. The emphasis here, I don't want you to miss this, please. This is drawing near to his heart. He wants there to be this connection that in your giving, in your praying, in your fasting, in your serving, as you draw near, that you have this sense that you're doing this together. You're not doing it for Him. He's not just doing this for you. It's a clear partnership. But that your job is to discipline yourself, your flesh, to do things that aren't necessarily comfortable for you. If the earlier one I said is in stepping out and risking, this is in going in and dealing with your character. Because these secrets often aren't realized because of this very issue. The discipline that it takes. God's willing to do His part. He's going, how how about you? Are you willing to partner with me on this? And so for some of us, it's realizing how little of this is actually about us. I have this theory I have this understanding and working with people like us that we forget how much is about Him, how much He wants to bless your life, how much He wants to use you, the dream He has for you, and you keep focusing on yours. And yours is often much smaller than His. And then sometimes we settle for just the small amount of blessing that comes our way instead of the full amount. Because we think too much is about us. And so this one, I want to be very specific on. This is about moving beyond yourself to address those kind of character issues. And go deeply with Him. That you can position yourself. It's a great phrase. Position yourself for growth, for development, for your next assignment. I like that one. And for your role in the kingdom. You just happened to show up at church today. Some of you thought you did a pretty good thing doing that too. We'll applaud you. Come on, we'll applaud you. God wanted you here for another reason. He's going to remember when we used to dream together. I'm still dreaming. You've slowed down. You've settled into what you call your life. I'm still dreaming. You're not that old. There's still time. If the other one is stepping out, this one's going deeper in. I have gotten to a place in my life, like a lot of my friends, where you get to one of those places where people, you have people who do things for you. There's people who work at your office. There's people who assume if they help out, 
help you out, you might help them out. There's all sorts of things going on. It's one of the things I don't like. I, I don't like being served. I, I grew up as a working class kid. You worked in the fields. I grew up on a farm. I had to get up early when it was cold to go do chores. That was the stuff no one else would do. You had to take care of it when you're the youngest. There's no bitterness. It's just the story. But I don't like being served. And when I try to go out and do that for other people, they get nervous. No, no, no. Let me take care of that. That's what I do. It's my job. I don't like that. So I said to God, I don't want to be one of those people who gets used to people serving you. But I'm getting used to it because it happens all the time. So help me. Help me figure out a way to serve. That sort of nobody notices. Now, in the history of spiritual disciplines, there's a lot of these. There's spiritual disciplines of fasting and prayer and silence and solitude. Many of you don't know this. There's one called secrecy. Secrecy is one of those things in the history of faith that you do that no one else knows about. And you do it in the kingdom to make someone else's life better. You don't just do it for them, you actually do it for you. That it's good for your own character and it's good for your soul. A few years ago I decided there was one that I thought I could do. Women, you don't know this, but men's restrooms are often just nasty places. Places you don't want to go to. I decided I could do something about that. So this little spray container right here and a couple of latex gloves and some disposable things to wipe things up with. And when no one's around, I clean them. And I do it not because it makes me feel good. I promise. <laughs> I do it because for me it's a character thing. This is, I'm, I'm happy to take risks. I love taking risks. That one's not hard for me. But it's harder for me to address character issues of going deep inside. That's what this one's about. Now, forgive me, this is supposed to be a secret thing, and I just told you. But I spent quite a lot of time asking God, is it okay if I give this one? Because it's just my story. You don't want to do it, don't do it. But you see, in the midst of dreaming your dream, it's not always going to be easy to fulfill it. It's how life is. It's how faith is. It's how the kingdom is. So in the midst of your secrets, be willing to go deep into your soul and into your character and say, what are those places that God's going to say, if if we're going to fulfill this dream, if I'm really going to bless you the way you hope to and I hope to, there's probably a character thing yet to address. What is it? You see, when you deny yourself food and fasting, it's amazing how those things start to show up. And I, I thought I was a pretty nice person. Don't feed me for a couple of days. I'm not a nice person. <laughs> and you start to see what comes out. 
Let's wrap this up, shall we? It's time. It may be the best word I have for you. It's time. For most of you, it's not about the dark things in your soul that are going to hold you back. There's a few of you. And if you're one of those, go after it. Go after it with all your heart. But what might hold so many more of us back is that we've quit dreaming and we've settled in and assumed this is the best life and you ask God for just this much when He's going, i got this much for you. I've got this much. I may have this much for you. Come on. Dream again. Partner with me. Let's do this one. It is the kingdom. There's a lot at stake. Just remember when you used to dream. It's time again to dream. Or for the Canadians who've crossed over, it's time again to dream. I want to speak the international language here. Come on, it's time. So if you've got one of those darker sides, you have a responsibility to go after it. You do. That's why it's been a good series. But it's also time to move from the fantasy to the reality. Because I've told you you've got plenty of time, but some eventually the time runs out. Every once in a while, I just get a little bit of a vision of what God sees when he looks at us and goes, here's a life that could have mattered so much more, but somehow they got stuck and they stayed stuck. Or they kept excusing themselves. And sometimes when someone else listens to your excuses, they just sound lame. They make sense to us. But somebody else goes, seriously? Seriously, that's... That's your best? That's your best one? Come on. Come on. So it's going to take some courage. Take the courage. And for many of us, it's time to enter into what's called a no excuse, no blaming, no whining zone. You're going, come on, you took away my best stuff here. No. No excuses. Again, it's about God partnering with you on this one. Since he already knows the secret dreams, he's not surprised. Bring them into the light. That's what we're doing tonight. To bring those things into the light. To establish some steps and stages. For some of you, there's stuff you've got to get rid of. And for some of you, there's stuff you still need. We're willing to address both of those with you tonight. Some steps and some stages for the vision and the dream. Tonight at 7, the listening room. We're going to say, let's go back to those dreams. Let's ask the Spirit of God, if you can't remember, to remind you. To remind you of some of those first things you said to God. Can I, someday, can I please do this? Or God, can we do this together? Let's ask the Spirit to bring those to mind. Those first idealized thoughts. When we said to God, God, I can't wait till someday when I get to, and you fill in the blank. And he still remembers those. He's going, I, I think it's time. Come on. 
So as we go back to the screen, it's time. Now, some of you have heard me now four or five or six times. You have picked up quickly, I'm not a great literary type. Poetry is not my greatest strength, but I do have one. It goes like this. Across the fields of yesterday, he sometimes comes to me. The little lad just back from play, the lad I used to be. And then he smiles so wistfully once he's crept within. I wonder if he hopes to see the man I might have been. It's time. It's time. Pray with me, please. God, I think there's probably some of us in the room that think it's probably easier to deal with the dark side stuff because we can dodge that one. Boy, thank God I didn't have that one. And thank God I didn't have that one. Don't let us dodge this one. Take us back. Please take us back to some of those early dreams. And awaken them again. Awaken them. Awaken the faith that goes with it and the courage to, to deliver. Take us back. So as we close this service, there might be a sense for a few of us here that it's time to awaken those dreams again. Again. Both today and tonight. You know the ones that's just essential to speak to. Speak so loudly we can't miss it, please. Please. In Christ's name.